egotistical, so unpredictable Here on the SNL Network Yes, we are live here for another edition of our patron feedback shows on the Saturday Night Network. My name is John from the SNN. So thrilled to be with you here on this Thursday for our first patron feedback show of 2023. And if you're just joining us for the first time in the new year, let me explain to you what our patron feedback shows are. Who are the patrons? What's the feedback show? I'm going to explain that to you. So our patrons are our biggest supporters of everything we do here at the Saturday night network they are paid subscribers who come on every single month and help support the show and one of the great perks of being a patron of the saturday night network is you get to podcast with us on thursdays everybody signs up for those and we get to talk saturday night live we answer questions from the public from our community about the previous week look forward to the next and that is the feedback as- aspect of this particular show and i am so thrilled and excited about these shows because I get to talk to the coolest people from all around the world who love Saturday Night Live and love the podcast. So I'm so appreciative of all of them and excited to get back into it with all of them in 2023. And very pumped to kick it all off with my friend, host of the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. It is the wonderful Thomas Senna. Thomas, how are you? Hello, John. I'm doing great. I ha- I've had my hot salad for some energy, <laughs> okay. and I am ready to go, ready to podcast. Awesome. You got the hot salad. I got the HIV medication. We're ready to go. We're here. all set. What more do you um, need? Yeah, exactly. On this Thursday. So, Thomas, let's do our uh, first check-in with you in the new year. I think the last time we heard from you was the feedback show. I'm going to say it was the Jack Harlow episode, if I remember correctly. So it's been a little bit. I think the season has actually spiked tremendously since that point. So how do you feel about it? How are you feeling about season 48? I, I think it's been a really good season. There's only been one episode uh, that I have I have had to give a thumbs down to, and uh, not to speak ill of her, but it was the Megan Thee Stallion episode. I just wasn't quite uh, filling that episode. But everything else, to for me, was either kind of average to to really good. Uh, so I know you said that you've said that the the episode start or the season forty eight started kind of up and down a little roller coaster, but I personally didn't quite feel that way. Uh, I think I was maybe more high on some of those episodes uh, than a lot of people, but I think it's been, uh, it's been strong to me and um, the new people in particular have, have impressed me. And that's, that's one of the things that I'm excited uh, to see as we move along to season 48 is those people growing, but you know, I, I've, I've enjoyed the season and i think the aubrey plaza episode was just a nice like momentum uh it picked up uh, started actually started the the season 48 uh, in january uh, picked back up after the holidays uh with a lot of momentum yeah i think in retrospect again when you're living everything week to week and going through it it felt like I guess i maybe i used roller coaster but it was really it felt like a bumpy ride it felt like um uh, inconsistent I think was what I would call it at the beginning part of the season it wasn't horrible there are, we don't we haven't ranked seasons yet here but it wasn't like the worst season ever to start things off it just it just wasn't like so high like I wanted it to be but starting with the Kiki Palmer episode these last four episodes of SNL have been fantastic like let's call it spade a spade it's is it like legendary amazing iconic SNL like Probably not, but it's been very, very good. And there's been some extremely highs, uh, extremely like high highs over the last uh, four episodes. And 
I don't know about you, Thomas, but like, I never expect the first episode after January to be very good because they are off for so long. Nobody's thinking about the show while they're gone. And then they come back at the start of the new year and it's like, all right, buckle up. But I was utterly impressed with what we got on Saturday. Yeah, everybody seems to think, uh, viewers seem to think that the cast members and writers are spending their breaks and vacations piling up all these ideas and materials. We're going to come out with a bang, but you're right. That that doesn't happen very often. So I always, I have low expectations when we come back from a long break. I try to keep my expectations in control just anyway with SNL, but especially coming after a break, I agree with you. The, the expectations need to be set low because they're doing what we do. They're on break. They're with their families. They're doing other stuff. So, uh, so I thought this was just a pleasant surprise from that aspect. Yeah, and let's see if they can keep it up. I mean, part of what we do here on the patron shows is we start to look ahead to the next week of SNL. So we're going to talk about uh, Michael B. Jordan a little bit. And then today, we did get some breaking news earlier today that Pedro Pascal is going to be hosting Saturday Night Live the following week with musical guest Coldplay. So since, uh, Thomas, you actually have the opportunity to have first word here on the network about Pedro Pascal and Coldplay, any thoughts on them being booked in a couple weeks? I'm not too familiar with pedro pascal um i'm looking it up now i never watched the mandalorian i do like star wars but i only have a surface level star wars fandom so i'm not completely familiar with him uh would you say that he's more he's not a comedic actor necessarily is he I've heard he's okay. So he's not a comedic actor. He's definitely mm-hmm. acted more in drama. I remember, I remember uh, him in Game of Thrones for a season. He was there. Um, I remember, yeah. So he, Mandalorian, and then now the, his the big show that he's doing is The Last of Us, and that's like the new HBO Sunday night show that they're um, promoting hard as like the new biggest show of 2023. Uh, so they got him early for that. I would say he's probably more of a dramatic uh, character actor which is interesting um, sort of a la his friend from, you know, last time he was last season, Oscar Isaac was sort of in a similar boat when he came on. Right. So that actually makes me feel good about the episode because I've noticed that a lot of these more dramatic or non-comedic actors or and actresses who host SNL, they tend to do a really good job and those are really good episodes. I'm thinking of uh, like, Anne Hathaway is an example. I know she's done some comedy, but she's not necessarily a comedian. She did a wonderful job uh, when she's hosted in the past. Uh, recently, like Adam Driver, T- Timothy Chalamet, uh, this season, Austin Butler. So I think when you have those really good actors who aren't necessarily comedians, uh, but they can act and go with the flow, I think those make for really good episodes. So knowing that, as far as Pedro Pascal goes, I, I'm actually very much looking forward to that episode because his type of host tends to do really well on the show yeah i'm pumped for that i was uh and even monette in the chat mentions about he's very funny during press tours like i've seen him be very funny so i think i think he's a really good choice i was texting with our friend mike murray who had a great by the number show last night with nicole and uh a sam smith not the sam smith but a (laughs) sam smith was on the show last night um and uh yeah there you had a great show but uh, I was texting uh, Pedro Pascal is the first uh, Chilean to host SNL. Mike keeps like these crazy statistics about like everybody's background. So um, he is the 637th host, the 429th male host, and the fifth host, uh, fourth bo- born from South America, fifth from a Spanish speaking country. So interesting. So we'll uh, have those South American viewers uh, for that episode, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. 
would be very cool. So um, yeah, obviously we're going to get a lot more into that in a couple weeks time, but I uh, figured because it came up today, might as well talk about it a bit, but let's jump back into our conversation about Aubrey Plaza and Sam Smith. So uh, were you excited for Aubrey Plaza? I was, I'm a huge parks and recreation fan, probably like most of us uh, SNL nerds. There's a big crossover there uh, with parks and recreation. Uh, So I was really excited. It was probably a long time coming as far as her actually hosting the show. She's been on everybody's radar to host, uh, gosh, the past decade plus. uh, We've wondered when Aubrey Plaza was going to host. So I was very much looking forward to it. I was interested in the respect that I was super interested in her monologue because she has this persona, and I heard you guys talking about it on the roundtable on Monday, and you all brought up very good points about about this public persona that she has, and, um, and she addressed it in her monologue as far as being sarcastic or coming off as sarcastic and not genuine, uh, just when she plays characters, when she does interviews. Somebody even said, I wonder if it's like an Andy Kaufman type of... <laughs> type of bit that she does so she, yeah. she a lot of <laughs> she a lot of times comes off as sarcastic and so i wanted to see her in a genuine moment and monologues tend especially lately tend to put the host in these genuine moments so i was curious to see how genuine aubrey would come across and she did seem nervous which i felt endearing i'm like sweet like aubrey plaza is not a android like a sarcastic android she can be nervous and excited so uh, so I was definitely super uh, excited to see her. Yeah, I will say like, just uh, again, this is this is probably more of a patron feedback conversation when we're really like, you know, being uh, just diving into specific points about the show. I felt for that monologue, I didn't get as much as I would have liked to find out like who Aubrey Plaza really is. Um, yeah. I, I definitely saw that she was nervous. I could see like you, you even like watch like the way her body's moving at the beginning, like you could see the anxiety and stuff like that. But I really feel like some of the other hosts this season, I could walk away being like, if I had a conversation with them at a bar or at a restaurant, I could tell what it's going to be like. Like if I bumped into Aubrey Plaza walking down the street, like, do you feel like, you know, like what that conversation would go like? I don't. I don't. Yeah. I feel, yeah, and and I think it was endearing. I, th- I I agree with you. I think she pivoted right to. I used to be a page, and here's here's a backstage tour with which I do like. But I agree with you in that we got to know uh, who who was it from uh, from earlier. Miles Teller. Mm-hmm. That's an example of somebody who we really got to know in a yeah. monologue. And it's, and it's not to say that that's a bad thing because yeah, like, like Ken says in the chat, we got to like see her talents later on. Um, and we could obviously see like, she really wanted this and it's really great. But I think like, I think that's part of her personality is that she's just like, sort of like goofy and silly and always playing a character. And you see that like a lot of people, that's actually like, I think it's sort of old school in, in, because like there used to be so many like character actors that would never turn it off and you would hear stories about like when they were like out in public or with family and friends they would just like always be on all the time like i think like gilbert Gottfried's like a really good example yes. of like a comedian who was like always on like i feel like aubrey plaza's always on yeah i i agree with you and she she was during the monologue in this whole episode but it was more the, the fact that she was nervous like visibly nervous i think was more than i have ever maybe seen before as far as having a genuine yeah. moment with Aubrey Plaza. So it was a li- at least a little something. Anyways, regardless, 
I loved yep. what I saw from her. I loved a lot of these sketches. I want to talk about them with you, but maybe we'll do that through some of the questions we got from the patrons this week, from the community this week. Sure. All right. So let's jump right in. And if you would like to send in your questions any week to our patron feedback show, we put out those forms the day before. So that will be on Wednesdays. You can look for them on our Twitter account or in our Instagram stories to send them in. And we will answer most of the questions as long as they're reasonable. I think we got a, a question this week of like, what does Arby Plaza like to eat? Like, I don't know. We're not going to answer that. So, but we, anything related to the episode that you think we can answer, uh, we will do that. So, let's start off at the top this week with a question from the wonderful Haley McLaughlin. Haley wants to know I feel like sketches were mostly timed really well as far as length, particularly the taboo sketch. Do you think that this could be, or would you like this to be, a new trend? through the second half of season 48. So Thomas, you said that you listened to the roundtable a little bit. This is a point that Mike Bloom brought up where he talked about blackout sketches a little bit. I, I noticed that as well. I felt like that sketches were really tight this week. What do you attribute that to and did you enjoy it? I really enjoyed it. I don't know what to attribute it to necessarily. Um, I don't know if head writers had a had a talk with the writing staff who knows but that's something that i really enjoy because there's oftentimes even if i'm enjoying a sketch there's moments in the sketch where it's like all right wrap it up time to time to move along um so i would love for sketches to be as concise as possible and i noticed that that happened uh this week and there's a nice balance because like snl it's a tv show they have to fill time they don't want to do 20 minute and a half sketches because that's involves costume changes and set changes that they don't have the time for so i think this week seemed like a bit of a sweet spot uh in uh as far as length goes uh and even better uh than short sketches or short cold opens so i would i would love to see that uh just short cold opens uh in and out but i definitely agree Haley. uh it was refreshing to see uh concise uh sketches uh this week yeah i i do like shorter sketches i think if it allows us to get more of them in there in a given week that would be great i mean really we only had here let me take a look at my notes for this week we only had two things that were cut for time this week which is pretty pretty low i mean we have one pre-tape and one live sketch that was cut for time uh punky's update piece and then uh this butt dial sketch which was a sarah sherman dan bula was cut at dress so that wasn't even brought to the live show so it goes to show you they're able to fit a lot of material in here especially with all the cameos none of those were going to get cut obviously because people were coming to the building but with regards to this taboo piece which i think was pretty good i like this sketch actually a lot um but I, I don't know if it works if they go on much longer than they did. Like they probably hit the right amount of escalation of Aubrey sort of getting, you know, horny. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I expected, I fully expected there to be some dumb button on it or more inter more interaction or interplay with the other party guests or whatever, just some unnecessary uh, rambling, maybe like I'm doing right now. But, um, but I think it, it ended at the, the, definitely the the perfect time i think there was maybe two games within like it's aubrey's weird past and then the sexual stuff and then we're out and i think i think uh that's perfect you don't need to put as we often like to say a hat on a hat on a hat for sure 
I also want to uh, mention, I don't want to disregard um, Lynette's comment in the chat when we were talking about Aubrey Plaza earlier, who mentioned, Lynette said that uh, I think Aubrey had, if I get this right, had a stroke when uh, she was younger, and that potentially affected some uh, speech patterns or whatever it is, but uh, not exactly clear what, what the effects of something like that may be. So I want to give that caveat when obviously discussing, you know, how somebody appears on screen and, and you know, we have to analyze these things objectively the best we can. But if that is the case, then of course, that is certainly a factor there. Uh, and I appreciate you mentioning that, Lynette. And, and is another example of why these patient feedback shows are so great because if you're not comfortable coming on camera or you want to be a part of this conversation joining us in our live chat is a great way to get your input here so we are reading all of your comments and uh, trying our best to put all of those into our conversation today because thomas and i could both see the chat um okay anything else on the taboo sketch you wanted to mention uh no that that was one of the uh, uh the sketches that uh that that stood out to me for sure cool. um and not, nothing else, nothing else to add. Awesome. Okay, so let's take this next question, who, which comes in from Ken George Jones, who's always a great part of our live chats. Ken says that Neil Casey seemed to be involved in more sketches than many guest writers tend to be. Would you like to see guest writers, ha guest writers have more of a voice in the episodes they participate in? This is a great question from Ken. Let me start off by saying that uh, some of our listeners were asking who is Neil Casey and why was he listed on the rundown sheet as far as writers were concerned so much this week. Well, Neil Casey used to write at Saturday Night Live, I think exactly 10 years ago, was there for a season. And he's pretty well known around Hollywood and has written, you know, with on sitcoms knows Amy Poehler very well but him and that was what I was told him and Aubrey Plaza were actually childhood friends so I believe that you know this was an opportunity where you know some hosts sometimes bring in their people this goes all the way back to the days of like Richard Pryor right brings in his own people as a host so uh, Aubrey Plaza probably asked for Neil Casey to come in for this week and help you know write in Aubrey's voice in some of these sketches which I think was really great. Obviously, he knows the show, he knows how it works, and is comfortable with a lot of the people there. So I love having guest writers at the show, uh, especially if it's not like always the same ones, because I think just like a host, a good host coming in and injecting something into the mix, having a good writer come in and perhaps motivate and invigorate some of the writing teams is an excellent idea. So how do you feel about it, Thomas? Yeah, we've seen even recently John Mulaney uh, brings guest writers in. Dave Chappelle does that. Uh, it's hard to know uh, whether their voices aren't being used a lot. Uh, I think that's up to the, to the host who brought them in and the writer themselves. Um, I would, of course, love if it's if, if it's a writer that comes in and has a bunch of ideas. Of course, I would love uh, love their voice to be on. Uh, a good example of somebody's voice who was all over an episode was you had mentioned Richard Pryor. Paul Mooney was. Richard Pryor's writer for the longest time and Paul Mooney's voice was all over that episode of Saturday Night Live and if if that person has something to add like Paul Mooney did uh, in that episode of SNL way back when uh, I'm all for it and if it makes Aubrey feel comfortable or Mulaney or Chappelle whoever brings in writers if it makes them feel comfortable and we see good sketches come out of it then absolutely yeah I think the only thing I would say as a potential negative of something like this and where you have to draw the line is if a host brings in their writers and then they take over the overall sensibility of the show 
we don't want that. We still want the writers who are there who are hired to succeed and write the sketches in the tones that they want to deliver them so we can properly evaluate the sketches in the way that we do. Um, you know, we don't like we don't want it necessarily to turn into like the Aubrey Plaza show. We want it to be Aubrey Plaza hosting SNL. And I think they like this was a really good balance this week where you basically are injecting Neil Casey into the monologue, you know, into the film noir sketch, which Aubrey Plaza helped write. So, you know, those are really good examples of where he was really great this week to be there. So um, I was thrilled about it, to be honest with you. Yeah, and and I don't want it to take away either from uh, from a, a writer getting one of their sketches on uh, as well. I know you know we as SNL fans know who the writers are, and we we root for them, we pull for them, and like I love, for example, when Alex English is proud of a sketch that gets on the air, and he posts it on his Twitter, and people comment, and so I don't want too many guest writers to take away opportunities from the staff that's already there. But just like with anything, I think there is a, a sweet spot. There is a balance. And I agree, John, uh, the, the sketches that he was involved with and, and the monologue, uh, I think it came off well. For sure. All right, let's take this next question from Jeremy Boulard. Jeremy would like to know, or he says that I feel like I can't remember many times that a cast member did an impression of a celebrity twice in an episode has it happened a lot well i do have those stats but before we get there thomas do you have any good examples of times you remember an impression twice in a given episode i seem to remember kate mckinnon playing um kellyanne conway kellyanne conway thank you kate mckinnon playing kellyanne conway i seem to remember there being like a runner uh in one of the episodes uh with that though i i think maybe she only spoke once uh i'm sure the the stats people can uh correct me on that uh i'm try i was trying to think back uh to maybe the 90s or early 2000s um i i there i think there was a sketch or or uh, Will Farrell playing George W. Bush. Maybe he was in a cold open. And I think that he did a sketch. I think it was maybe he and Al Gore uh, or he and uh, Daryl Hammond play as Al Gore were in this buddy comedy kind of, uh, kind of sketch. Um, but I don't remember if in that particular episode, there was a cold open with George W. Bush. So that might be an example, but Kate McKinnon for sure is the first one that came to mind. Okay, so I spoke to our friend Joel Navaroli, who runs the SNL archive site. He pulled the data from his site of any time that somebody did an impression more than once in a given episode. It is happened. So all credit to Joel for this this data. It has happened 105 times in the history of Saturday Night Live that somebody has played an impression more than once. First time ever was November 22nd, 1975, when we had John Belushi playing Ludwig van Beethoven three times in an episode. Yep. So that's that's the original time this has happened. So this goes back all the way to the beginning of the shows. The last time that this happened before Bowen was the Chappelle 46 episode where Alec did Donald Trump twice. So we did have a lot of, you know, Trumps and Kellyanne, and I saw Omarosa in the chat as well. Um so Blood Meridian in the chat said that Will Ferrell did Ken Starr four times in a single episode. That was an amazing runner. That's that's what he says. Okay. Thomas, I have some trivia for you. Okay. There's been, this has happened twice in the history of Saturday Night Live that an impression has been done four times in an episode. That's the most ever. 
Obviously, Blood said Will Ferrell as Kenneth Starr in the chat. One other time has somebody done an impression of four times. Do you want to? Do you want me to give you clues? Yes. Uh, I'll guess Taron Killam doing Brad Pitt. Nope. Okay, that's that's an interesting guess, but uh, that was. Oh, actually, no. Okay, you are totally right about that. Wow. Okay. That, okay. That's, there was three times that happened. I missed that one. So. Was that one of them? <laughs> that is one of them. Okay, I'm sorry. There's another one. But wow, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. I, I, don't, I can't even believe I missed that. Okay. Uh, apologies. So, uh, great call. So, Taron Killam did Brad Pitt four times. There is another time. So, three times in the history of SNL that an impression has been done four times. I'll tell you it is more in the Will Ferrell, Kenneth Starr era. Okay. Um... Was it Molly Shannon playing? Um, why am I struggling with names from the from the late nineties? Somebody who did something to uh, right Monica Lewinsky. Was yes. it Molly Shannon playing Monica Lewinsky? You are incredible. Yeah, wow. I can't you got that. Oh my wow. gosh, <laughs> that is incredible. Yes, so that is the other time. So four times in the history, uh, three times in the history of SNL, an impression has been done four times. Molly Shannon in February of 1998 played Monica Lewinsky four times. Uh, in March of 98, Will Ferrell did Kenneth Starr four times, and then of course, as you mentioned, Taron Killen playing Brad Pitt four times. Uh, so yeah, these runners, as wow. we call them, that happen throughout an episode are so fantastic. We really rarely get them. And if they're done right, they can really make a difference in an episode. And I don't know about you, but I really felt like here was a great opportunity for the first time in uh, like all, I guess, what is it, two and a half years that we could have had a great runner. Do you think that he should have done it a little bit differently? I think if he did, I think the, the subsequent appearances should have been short. Because I think the, the the joke of he lies a lot was wearing a little thin for me. It, it reminded me of the Herschel Walker uh, jokes uh, that we got from Keenan playing Herschel Walker, where it's just like they beat you over the head with like, oh, Herschel Walker misspeaks and mispronounces things. And oh, it's almost with Santos. Like, I loved how Bowen did it, and I think it worked well for me. Uh, the two times that he did it, but, but I think it would have had to, they would have had to try to rework it and not just Bowen as George Santos lying about X, Y, and Z. Uh, but anytime there's an opportunity for a runner, that's something that, that, that I really love. Like going back and watching past episodes, I love when they have running threads throughout the, throughout the episode. Do you want to define right now, like we'll make the decision with our friends in the chat, like for the SNL community, like what defines a runner? Is it three or more? I always thought of it as three or more. Okay, great. So yeah. any so anytime that we've had three or more impressions of the same character by the same cast member in a given episode, we'll define that as a runner. So the last time that we had a runner was Kate as Kellyanne Conway in March of 2017. And then the time before that would be Jim Carrey as Matthew McConaughey in October of 2014. Those commercials, the car commercials. So yeah, and we don't count 80 when she played the the barbecue Becky or Karen or whatever the the original Karen. Uh, do you remember that? That was that uh, was that's like a loose I, I, I don't know yeah. if I would count that but some people might. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I, I would. Just, I would. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'd say three or more. So yeah, if, if there have been some good examples of three or mores uh, going back to the days of Lucius Beethoven, Chevius Ford. So this has happened throughout the history of SNL to answer your question directly, Jeremy. But yeah, it was fun to get to address that. So thanks for the question. All right, let's take this next question from Eric. Eric wants to know, how did Cecily's absence affect the episode? It seemed like the show relied more on Keenan, Mikey, and Aubrey as the sketch anchors, while the female cast had more bit roles. I'm not sure if there's correlation, but curious what you think. So, uh, you know, this is something that's really interesting to talk about. As I said on the roundtable, that I think this episode's going to be remembered for being the first episode of the new era honestly i think this was it so how do you feel thomas and did you feel like cecily's absence was noticeable at all i don't i didn't really notice cecily's absence like impacting the show too much uh i i think she would have fit right into a, multiple sketches actually so i think these these are the types of sketches that still would have happened had cecily still been on the cast i think so like miss universe i could totally see cecily playing one of the one of the contestants in that one black lotus she would have fit in the nun announcements i think i think she would have maybe taken the place of of molly so maybe that her absence gave molly a chance to did to you be like part that by that. the way i i found that sketch so bizarre it, i th- i think it was the the singing at the end was needless to me. I wish they would have leaned a little bit more on the nun's exist, existential crisis, and I know that they did, but I've, I would have liked to see a little more escalation. Um, the Sarah part did not work for me uh, when they would cut to her and she would say like, "Oh, Dad, oh, I did it again." Like I didn't, I just did not understand that. And I like Sarah, but I just didn't understand that. There, I think there was just too much happening in the sketch where I would have liked the focus to be on the nun not seeing heaven, uh, which was the A plot of the sketch, but there was just too much other other than that. How are you feeling about them cutting? I mean, obviously we didn't get to see it, but a cutting a Sarah Sherman like featured piece at dress when called this butt dial sketch after like this uh run that she's been on of just all-star level episodes it 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 really depends uh her her quietest episodes probably yeah yeah and i don't mind that i think she's had she's had a run of great episodes and not every episode she doesn't have to be the star of every episode uh and and her humor is interesting to me. I I don't love gore, uh, to be to be frank, uh, but I like Sarah. I think she she's had a good balance between weird stuff and still being able to fit in with the cast as far as playing a more straight role or having uh, having weird humor, but it's it's more dialed down for SNL. I'm not sure what the butt dial sketch entailed. Um I imagine I'm sure she'll be able to to do it again. The whole the Jewish Elvis one was a sketch that was cut in early in the season. I think it was cut in mile maybe it was Miles Teller. Uh yeah, I forget first. which episode. Yeah. Um so I, I think they could bring it back. But man, Sarah's been having a wonderful year, but she doesn't have to be the star of every episode. Can I just say though, like between you and I, over the holidays I saw so many of my friends that I didn't get to see for a while who were like in town or was like catching up with people like, you know, people have like uh, vacation times off. They're asking me like, how's SNL? Like what's happening on the show? And I kept saying, I'm like, you got to see this Sarah Sherman person. I'm like, she is amazing. And you have to watch the show. And I'm like, when it comes back, 
for Aubrey Plaza's episode, look out for her. And I could, I could imagine, I am not the only person who said <laughs> that to so many people, only to find out like this was not a Sarah Sherman episode. So that was no, the only it was thing. not. You let a lot of people down, I know. John. Oh my gosh, you, yeah, you stood. And she, she's she's grown on me actually. Uh, last season, I think she was a bit shouty for <laughs> for my taste. She was a bit loud, um, but I think she's she's shown a lot of range. Uh, more so this season and she's really grown on me quite a bit i I really enjoy her yeah for sure okay let's take this next question from at soul 5708 on instagram wants to know thoughts on amy poehler making a cameo last week were you surprised i mean i wasn't surprised but thomas how did you feel what were your thoughts I I don't really think about cameos heading into episodes, so so it's kind of weird. I'm not a typical SNL geek in that regard. I know a lot of people see the host and they wonder who can cameo with the host, and for some reason that just doesn't enter my mind. So uh, so I was surprised just because I don't think about cameos, and I loved her cameo, and I think she did a great. It was perfect in the monologue, and it didn't overstay its welcome for me in the monologue. It was just sort of, there she is, funny banter, and then we're out. And then I was still surprised when she appeared on Weekend Update, because again, I don't have cameos in my head. So when Aubrey came out as April Ludgate, of course, should have thought that maybe Amy would come out as Leslie Nope. Um, but I that didn't occur to me when she came out. I was surprised again. And I, as a Parks and Rec fan, uh, I really loved it. And it wasn't, I think uh, Amy found, found the right tone as far as she was Leslie Nope and not Amy Poehler up there. And sometimes, sometimes those can bleed into each other or and especially if somebody hasn't done a character in a long time uh but i think i think she played leslie nope up there really well and some of the references she was making to past weekend updates i love when the show gets self-referential uh i i just i loved everything about amy poehler appearing this episode i'm gonna give you a take that i've been thinking mm-hmm. about all week i think we've had amy poehler erasure in our community and I'll tell you why. Because uh-huh. I think that in the era of... So so Amy Poehler, I guess, last hosted the show in 2015. She was a cast member up until 2008. So it's been 14 years, or I guess it'll be 15 years later this year. Uh, there's been so much talk in my you know two and a half years doing this podcast about Cecily, Aidy, and Kate, then Kristen, and then how about Tina Fey? How about Maya Rudolph? that like I think Amy Poehler has been under talked about and to see her on the show this week though like you said she wasn't full 100% Amy the whole time I think she is so great and we don't give enough credit to her and I don't know like am I crazy about this take no no I I, I can definitely see that I think some people even when they think of weekend update history they almost jump from Tina Tina to Seth by himself. Uh, I, I agree with that. When I was when I was researching, uh, um, this is going to be a couple shameless plugs. When I was researching our Seth Meyers episode for the SNL Hall of Fame, I went back and watched a lot of Weekend Updates. And and to be honest with you, Amy was probably a little funnier on Update than Seth when they were partners. 
I think Amy had just more clever jokes. And to me, Amy, uh, and then Seth came into his own and he was obviously great at Weekend Update. But to me, Amy was a lot funnier than I even gave her credit for on the update desk. And by the way, uh, upcoming here in the next, at the end of uh, the next season of the SNL Hall of Fame, Nicole Rovine, Rovine and I will be discussing Amy Poehler as a oh, candidate for the SNL Hall of Fame. So she will get her due. Um, Nicole and I will make sure of it. Okay, awesome. Yeah, and uh, I see our friends, uh, Josh is talking about in the chat as well, uh, who agrees with me. I mean, look, I, I think that, you know, we will get, when you talk, when you bring up her name, like you'll talk about how good she was, the characters and all that stuff. But I do think like she somehow fell out of like the general SNL zeitgeist in terms of like making comparisons or like talking about, you know, referencing her sketches for some reason. Like, I just think we overlook her on the show. But like when I was watching her on the show and I was like, that was like my first prime SNL watching was her career on the show. I like loved her so much she was so great she never took a night off as far as i was concerned like to me she gave like 100 percent maximum effort and yeah i mean she just had so many great moments with seth you know people can debate or not if they liked the era the era of her and uh, tina on weekend update but uh it was obviously like legacy wise extremely important so um uh, yeah i just love amy poehler i was so happy to have her back on the show this week yeah, do you think she gets lost in the conversation because she's so synonymous with her character on Parks and Recreation, and it's actually a compliment to her work on Parks and Recreation. I know we could probably point to examples of people who have become famous post-SNL who still get lauded for their SNL work, but I'm wondering if in her case, uh, people so closely associate her with this with this character that that's the first thing that comes up. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That is certainly possible. I wonder, like, I would have to ask somebody who's like a little bit younger than you and I, if that's the case, because I wonder if like they associate like a lot of the people like in their like, uh, like teens or early 20s that are like on Twitter and more in like the the stand community. I'm curious if like they associate um, Amy Poehler with Leslie Nope more than they do with like her time on the show. Of course, maybe they were not watching her live on the show, so that would make sense. But just in terms of just like knowing, okay, Amy Poehler was an SNL cast member and not Amy Poehler was the lead role in a great sitcom when they were younger. Hmm. Yeah, Ken in the chat says that he thinks it's because that Amy hasn't come back to the show as much in recent years. And there could be something to that. I know the one time she hosted, correct me if I'm wrong, she hosted once, but then that, but that was with Tina Fey. So she hosted twice. She, she, hosted, she did host, okay. Yeah, she hosted once. I believe it was in 2010. I'm just going okay. off the top of my head. And it was like to introduce the new cast members that were coming out that night. Yeah, um, okay. So that was like Taryn and MJ and all those people. Um, right. And I remember it was like a really big deal when she came back to the show. And then obviously her and Tina hosting together. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would take a third hosting appearance from Amy Poehler. She's that good. Yeah, and by herself too. Like, don't don't she doesn't have to come back with Seth or Tina or anybody. Like, I would love Amy to come back by herself and host. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's let's uh, fight for it, people. Okay. Next question from Fred Akansu. Fred wants to know uh, any more details or theories around some of the more unexpected cameos. So I guess he's asking about this long laundry list of cameos we got, including uh, President Biden, who was there this week, which we barely ever talked about throughout the week. But like that was cool. Um, 
How about Sharon Stone, a former SNL host, hosted in 92? Um, the Property Brothers, Drew and Jonathan Scott, Tony Hawk, Allison Williams, any of these like uh, make an impact on you? I want to I wanna briefly talk about the, the President Biden cameo because you're right. Like the, a sitting president appearing on the show and it just kind of washed over us. And I think everybody, you know, I was in Discord and on Twitter uh, as the show was going on. And of course, everybody was wondering if it was a deep fake or AI. But th- I think that's because the background in the video kind of gave a weird illusion that it, uh, uh, for some reason, that, that it, it might have been like a deep fake just because the background was kind of weird. And then you just don't expect a sitting president to be part of the show. So it's kind of disorienting in that way. So you just, I think your mind kind of goes to like, well, a sitting president wouldn't come on the show. So this has to be a fake or whatever. And why would the sitting president know who Aubrey Plaza is? And all? so I think there was just a lot of that. Rewatching it didn't. I mean, it didn't seem like a deep fake uh, rewatching it. No, I mean, it's definitely not a deep fake. Yeah. No, 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 no. We'll, we'll clear that up. It was actually President Biden uh, <laughs> appearing. And he has a history with like uh, uh, acknowledging Aubrey Plaza as another famous person from Delaware. So there's like a, a little history um, there. Um, C- can I give you a theory of why I think yeah. he didn't get enough hype? I think, uh, though I understand why he came on the Delaware connection to Aubrey Plaza, also potentially, uh, you know, Amy Poehler's character, Leslie Nope, was obsessed with Biden. So I think there's a connection there. Uh, but if it had been, a la Chevy with Ford, a James Austin Johnson playing Biden, and then a Biden filmed cameo appearance as part of that, that would have been like a huge deal talked about and analyzed throughout the weeks. But because it was such an basically an afterthought on the show itself, it's, it is then hard to walk away and say that was such a major storyline. Yeah, just so much happened <laughs> in this particular show that, I, yeah, you're right. It, it, it did get lost, I think, for that reason. Um, but I, but I, th- I thought that was pretty cool. And the Miss Universe sketch uh cameos were kind of interesting uh, i didn't understand tony hawk, what they were trying to do with tony hawk uh i thought it was a little too much um it didn't really it didn't really do it for me i think just appearing and like with the property brothers they held up signs that said that said like uh why 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 are you why did you take this gig and said bad with money or whatever like that was funny but then tony hawk screaming just felt felt so like too too much way too much totally disagree with you i think the property brothers were completely unnecessary in the sketch the tony hawk thing was funny for me uh i I think think i think it's the opposite well i think it's just because at these pageants you tend to have random judges so property brothers and tony hawk that's those are random people and i thought i thought the the property brothers their lines the lines that they gave them were pretty funny but i i just think that what was the reason for Tony Hawk behaving that way? We we know the reasons for the of behind the sketch is the contestants uh, in the real Miss Universe pageant were shouting and everything. But did I miss something? Where was one of the judges shouting as well? Or I, I, like I think I think I agree with you that the cameos were completely unnecessary. Though Tony Hawk did a good job. I mean, I'll just play uh... Tony Hawk. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty funny. But uh, but. Uh, I, I think what probably happened is like as simple as this is like Tony Hawk shows up and like they just realize that he like actually has a personality. 
from like, mm. the property brothers. It, and, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, let's have him do something a little bit more here. So then they like made him have fun with it. Uh, I don't know that they wrote the Tony Hawk line before they actually had Tony Hawk in the building. Okay. That's fair enough. It, it it didn't work for me, but but I, I guess not everything will. I think just their mere presence uh, was enough. Yeah. And then I think, you know, to answer Fred's question, I think the Sharon Stone thing probably was a Sam Smith. Uh, actually, I did read an article, Sharon Stone talking about uh, coming in, uh, was probably uh, Sam Smith asking Sharon Stone to be a part of his performance, uh, their performance, excuse me. And then Sharon Stone then is asked to be in a sketch because Sharon Stone is in the building. So. That's probably what happened. Okay. Yeah, I didn't even know that was Sharon Stone until I somebody on Twitter said it was Sharon Stone. She looked way different than I remember her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, next one from Curly Joe. It says, it seems that PDD's live sketches this year have been underwhelming in terms of writing. Do you think they should be limited to writing just their own pre-tapes or is it a soft more slump? What's your opinion here, Thomas? I, I don't think they should be limited into into writing just their own pre-tapes. I think they're on the writing staff for a reason. Um, but I have, I agree with you uh, there, Curly Joe, that I have noticed that when I check the writing credits after each episode, uh, PDD tends to be behind my least favorites. <laughs> uh, that happened this week. Uh, I, I did not like the Avatar sketch. I think that was the only sketch in the episode that, that I didn't enjoy. Uh, and PDD was behind that, along with Heidi. Um, they they wrote that. Uh, it's probably just a writing slump, if you want to call it that. I mean, tastes are subjective. So what's a slump to some of us might be wonderful material to somebody else. Um, but I think they should still try to write for other people. They're on the writing staff. They, they're, they're obviously funny, talented writers. Um, they've just maybe written sketches that didn't quite hit like they wanted to but i want them to keep trying like they're not just going to tell pdd well we're not going to let you write sketches anymore um but i do you know i i do wish they actually would do more of their own pre-tapes like they used to that seemed to be a little lacking this year and i love those um but they should continue writing well i think i think i'm confused about with please don't destroy is that the live sketches that they write are so different in tone from the pre-tapes that they produce and yeah, like, and, it, and it's, I don't dislike the live sketches that they produce as much as uh, people seem to be making it out that it, that they're that bad. I mean, I didn't like the Savitar sketch, I'll say that. But, um, but what I would say is that like the Please Don't Destroy pre-tapes work well because they're so quick, right? Like, it's like, okay, somebody's going to show up, like they're going to like quickly go from joke to joke to joke to joke. And I understand you can do that in a lot in a pre-recorded format, probably better than a live sketch format. So it's a little bit different, but there's no reason why that can't be the tone that we know please don't destroy material for. Like, why can't they inject a level of randomness that's known and associated with PDD in a live sketch? Why can't they make the jokes quicker in a live sketch? Because I find that it's the tones are so jarringly different between some of the live sketches they produce and some of the um, pre-tape material that they do as part of their PDD shorts. So that's what I find weird. Yeah, uh, that that is weird. And I should say we don't know exactly what what they're contributing to these sketches. Maybe they're just maybe somebody had an idea and PDD is just helping them punch certain things up. Like maybe this was Heidi's idea. 
and she wrote the bulk of it, but they had PDD, the PDD guys come on and just punch a few things up and they get writing credit. So it's hard to, you know, when they're credited, it's along with other people a lot of times. So it's not, a lot of times it's not just them. So it's hard to know if it's their idea or what their role is in the writing process. So I'm inclined to maybe give them some of the benefit benefit of the doubt. Um, but I agree with the points that uh, that you had just made for sure. Yeah, that is fair. So I guess we'll see. I mean, it's only year two for them. I think they're going to be around for a long time. So I would I would yeah. be surprised if uh, we don't get a few gems from them coming up. Yeah. Okay, buckle up. This is a long question from our friend <laughs> Blood Meridian. Okay. We appreciate you, Blood Meridian. By the way, absolutely. Just gonna you know, I'm just gonna take a quick sip of water so I can read all this from you, Blood. So uh, okay. Blood Do you want to team up on this one? Let me know, John. I think I can do it. I think, okay. Uh, Blood Marie asks, one of the more interesting storylines these past few months this season is that of James's position on the show. Ever since the November-December run of shows, James has been quietly cast more and in more glue-slash-utility roles, roles that he's perfect for on the show, and finally gotten an original, well-received sketch on the air just last episode. James has the qualities to be the potential utility star slash glue of the current cast with strong impression skills, professionalism, everyman qualities, and likable presence. These are getting more noticed by me this year as we are especially in the midst of building this new era of the show and now that he's finally freed himself for the the impressionist slash bit part camp, where do you think James's trajectory as the season goes along would be like and where do you hope he'll eventually be thanks as always and keep it up thank you as always blood for your question i appreciate it <laughs> thomas hit me i find it interesting how since james joined the cast how the pendulum has swung in so many wild ways like at first he was being compared to dana carvey he was saying oh this is the next dana carvey he's come out swinging he's the next star of the show and then it was well maybe he's just relegated to daryl hammond maybe he's just a specialist an impressionist uh and all that i seemed i think things are settling back into into that middle ground between dana carvey and daryl hammond with a little bit of beck bennett kind of mixed in as far as those dad roles or those more adult uh, kind of roles. But I have noticed this about James, and I'm glad that we're seeing uh, different types of uh, of roles and, and, and things from him, that he's not just, no offense to Daryl Hammond, but I used to, my mind used to process Daryl Hammond as not part of the cast. When he was when he was on the show, because his lane was so seemed to be so different than his his castmates, and I'm glad James isn't taking that direction. It seems like James is more fully integrating with the cast than someone like Daryl did uh, with his cast. And uh, I'm you know I'm still waiting for him to do an update appearance. I think that's the final thing that I can say about James is give me that update appearance. But I like where where he's he's uh, seems to be settling in. So I agree with you. I had an interesting thought this week about James, which was 
that, and it, this probably stems back to our SNL stories we did with Bobby Moynihan, where he was telling us this great story about how when Sigourney Weaver came to host the show in season 35, he threw out this idea, which uh, turned into a sketch called Fire and Rice, where she keeps like falling off the, pl- the piano, I think it was. And he just threw it out on a Monday. And then she was like, oh, I love that. And he like never expected her to say so. And what happened was, is this ends up being the last sketch of the night in season 35, episode 12. So that's from January of 2010. And Bobby Moynihan anchors this sketch alone with the host. And that got me thinking this week, okay, we had a sketch at the end of the night, which yes, Sharon Stone is in it, probably, you know, the cherry on top, but it is really a James Austin Johnson anchoring a sketch alone with a host. And I could, for the life of me, not remember the last time this has happened on Saturday Night Live. Bobby talked about it a lot as this being, you know, a moment that changed the trajectory of his career because it showed that SNL trusted him, the producers trusted him to handle a sketch on his own. And I was like, wow, that is really, really amazing. So I had our friend Matt, who is one of our great interns, and I asked him, can you go back through the archives and find the last time that this has happened? So you mean like a, like a newish cast member anchoring a sketch I with said the host? any cast member anchoring a sketch alone okay. with a host. And we said like no mm-hmm. cold opens, no, um, no monologues. I want a live sketch where a cast member alone anchors a sketch with just the host. And uh, I'd say one exception is uh, the Five Timers Club last year where James Austin Johnson was the only cast member in that sketch. So that doesn't really count because that's not really what that was. That's uh, like a special sketch. But you have to go back all the way to, I think it was season, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but season 43, I believe, where Melissa Villasenor did her lying in bed with I think it was Aziz doing all those impressions yeah and I'm like yeah oh wow that's like yeah I mean Melissa's career didn't necessarily like take off in the way that we thought it would but but at the time people loved that and they were like oh wow this character the one character that Melissa ever did on the show that really like took off they like thought she was gonna have an amazing career off of that and I think it's really it's been it's been so long since we've had that on the show that I think this is a amazing endorsement of James Austin Johnson and to me probably indicates that he's gonna be a major player of the future of the show I think he's a grounding presence and I think the show looks at him as 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 a grounding presence um we're invo- I've been invoking a lot of names from the past but like a Phil Hartman type that's just can can grant like really just ground everything and he's a, he's a steady hand and I I was thinking about this too. What other you have to be really seasoned or really confident as a cast member to do a sketch like that, like 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 James did. And I did Kate McKinnon the, was the her Penelope Cruz uh, sketch an example of this. That's one I I forget who she was in. I, I know it was her and somebody. I don't know if that necessarily counts, but it was almost like Kate McKinnon anchoring a sketch with a host with some people coming in between 
Yeah, that is a good example. So I think Sudeikis was in that sketch. I think Bobby was in that sketch as well. Um, so there were other people there, but that is a good example. And I just want to correct myself. So the last time that this did happen was season th- 43, the same character, but it was with Donald Glover. That was the second time she did. So the first time was with Aziz in 42. And then the second time was with Donald Glover. So the last time that this has actually happened in SNL was five seasons ago that we had a cast member alone anchoring a sketch with the host. And I, I just thought that was amazing, Thomas, that like, like, why have we gone five seasons without seeing this? I mean, is it like a hard. lack of, is it, is that what it is? Do you think it's just hard to do? Yeah, I no, I think it is. And I think, especially with something like that, because, because you tend you have to, as a cast member in that position, it seems like you have to really conduct yourself with a lot of gravitas and confidence and James out of anybody in the cast seems to really display that that I don't know I don't know it's just something uh that that I've noticed and I was trying to picture other cast members in that position having that type of dialogue um talking like just quick-witted jokes um and I, th- I think it's just something hard to do probably has to do with a b- having just a bigger cast uh as well um, but it takes a certain presence, I think, to to be able to to lift a sketch up and and help carry it like that. Props to James, man. I love I love yeah. this for him. It's incredible, and it reminds me a lot of like a classic example of this is Jane Curtin used to do the like Joan Face character, where she would uh, be basically like hosting a talk show and would either have uh, Dan Aykroyd as our main way or have like Buck Henry as a host and just be like one on one with them. And those are the types of things that really stuck out to me like the first time I watched those first few seasons to see like how great Jane Curtin was. And I, I, like I said, I mean, all the Trump stuff, all the Biden stuff has been like really impressive very early on from James's career. Uh, I do. I, I, I really like this sketch. Do I think it was an amazing sketch? Like I wouldn't say that, but I would say that this is maybe the moment I was the most impressed with James given this particular statistic we're talking about. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. It was, it was wonderful to see. Yeah. So thanks for the question, uh, Blood, and I hope that answered that. Let's take this next question from Scott. Scott wants to know, can you give a rundown as to how the post-production's editor's strike affects the show? So let's talk about this a little bit. If you don't know what Scott is talking about, I'll try and give a background. And Thomas and I will talk about this. And I will just say, uh, as a caveat to our discussion, uh, Thomas and I are not labor union people, so we're not we're not experts in this area. Uh, but I will sort of give a rundown about basically what I understand what's happening. Um, IATSE, uh, labor union, so the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, did post online this week that SNL is made with union labor. So why is its editorial crew without a contract? In October, the crew that cuts SNL's pre-filmed segments organized for a voice on the job months later they still don't have their first union contract the editorial crew of nbc universal's film unit works long hours under intense pressure bringing pre-shot skits skits sketches to, 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 to the screen in record time but nbc universal seems in no hurry to make a deal the crew is standing together to demand a contract now um, and you know, this was posted all over 
this week uh and we had the pretty much all the cast members on instagram repost this particular story we had a picture of the film unit together post this and then there was a hollywood reporter article earlier this week that mentions that a recently unionized group of post-production workers at snl has authorized a strike now what does this mean exactly to my understanding uh they could begin striking if they do not eventually uh, reach a contract, but there is a chance that this, uh, well, it's not happening right now, but there is a chance that eventually we may get shows that don't have pre-tapes in them. So I'm curious what your thoughts are, Thomas. Yeah, so basically they, the, um, they approved strike authorization. So like the union heads can move forward with the strike if they see fit and that was initiated by a vote. So you're right, they're not striking, but they can. That's officially an option that's on the table after a vote. Exactly. Yes. Um, if there is a strike, uh, which I, I don't think I don't think it's going to affect... Actually, I want to combine... Is it okay if we combine these these questions? Because I, I think there's a good lead-in. Yeah, let, let me read out the next question, and then we'll... Yeah, this question also comes from Monette, who's in our chat today, and says, as of right now, will there be pre-tapes in the Michael B. Jordan episode? The news about the editor strike seems to be still up in the air. So we'll address Monette and Scott's yeah, question. Yeah, so I, I, I think as of now, there probably will be pre-tapes uh, because they're not striking. And um, so if they're not striking, they're still working. Uh, so I, I, I would imagine that there will be pre-tapes in this, in this episode, um, if and when there's a strike um there probably won't be pre-tapes uh, but there was a time 20 30 years ago uh, where the show would replay a lot of pre-tapes usually fake commercials the fake ads uh so maybe they'll go uh that route uh if there's no new pre-tapes that they can play um I want to credit Ruby from the SNL fan community for pointing this out. Um, they said that the last time there wasn't pre-taped material was in the Anna Ferris episode in 2008. I'm not sure what the reason for that was, but obviously pre-tapes are super important to the show. It gives everybody a chance to breathe. It gives them a chance to change sets and costumes and all of that. Um, but it's been over 14, 14 plus years uh, now since that's happened. Right. So, yeah, I don't know what the reason for that is. I'd be curious if anybody does know why that particular episode didn't have any pre-tapes. That'd be fun to ask uh, somebody who was at the show at the time. But uh, here, let me, let me give you three ideas of things that SNL can do to uh, potentially have pre-tapes in the show if this strike does happen. Okay. One is, last week they had a cut for time Southwest pre-tape. Keep it in the can. If they need it, they throw it in if they have a week where they don't have a contract and then they need to figure it out later. That's it. That's one thing that could happen. Number two is bring in previous or guest uh, editors or directors to film these pieces. So uh, you can call up Jim Signorelli. They can call up Oz Rodriguez. Come in. They are, would be hired, you know, specifically to contract it to do that particular piece. They are not, uh, you know, full-time workers for NBC Universal. They can come in, they can film a piece in a given week. I think that option is still on the table. And then option number three is, please don't destroy 
are not held by the same rules that these film units that we're discussing are. Do, would they want to stand alongside them? I don't know what the exact you know situation with that is, but I could also imagine, please don't destroy producing their own film pieces like they did on YouTube for many, many years where they're, or wherever they, they produce their shorts. Um, they have plenty of experience filming their own and producing them for the show. So I could imagine that that could be an option as well. So I, I think that SNL would rather... Uh, I, I hope that the contracts happen. I hope that this gets resolved and like, God bless the film unit who works tirelessly and very hard. And like, uh, I'll say like on behalf of everyone at the Saturday night network, like I hope they get their due. All I'm saying is, is like, I don't think the show is out of options if they do strike. And my wife asked me if uh, I was telling her about this situation. And she asked me if the musical guest could perform an extra song. And I said, well, I don't see why not. It's happened in special cases, but I, that is something that's on the table. And also weekend update going longer, making maybe having more uh, more update uh, pieces, uh, desk pieces. Um, that could also be an option. Um, the the PDD, I think that's an interesting idea, but you, do, you definitely brought up a good point as far as sol- the solidarity thing. And I think people who work in the show, especially writers and stuff, maybe want to show uh, solidarity uh, with the with the post-production crew. Um, yeah, just hope that they get it settled with NBC Universal uh, so, so we don't have to um, see this as a reality. And so they can, you know, th- these people are amazing. I mean, the quality of these pre-tapes and it's such a short turnaround. So if, you, if you've seen these uh, behind the scenes, uh, videos that SNL sometimes puts out, and they they show you the, a glimpse into the process. The, the turnaround times for editing, the, the, those people work hard. They stay up all night. They get last minute changes. Uh, it, it's just such a hard. It's a unique production job uh, uh, amongst all the production jobs sure. in entertainment. So. Yeah. And let me just also uh, send uh, a quick message to like our friends in the film unit. And I know that there are uh, members of the crew who I've been told have listened to many of our shows before. Uh, I don't know if if anyone in this group or this department is specifically listening today or whatnot. But if there's anything that we can do over here, uh, who, you know, have like a you know, a voice in the community, of course, let us know because we are happy to support uh, the best we can. And we want everybody to be given their fair due. We know everyone works really hard on the show. And uh, just by design, by being able to see the, you know, the faces and the names of the cast on TV, naturally, like 99% of the conversation we have here on the SNN is about all of the people that we you know get to see and go off and become these amazing celebrities but there's just so many people at snl who work so hard on producing all of this wonderful things you get to see so um you know we do like to uh, point out some of them and get let them tell their stories on it like on snl stories one of our podcasts that we do that's a great example of that got to speak to keith who was on the monologue this week so you know maybe you were watching the monologue and you're like oh i know that guy i saw him on the show before so if there's anything that we can do uh for anyone uh always happy to help and and support the best we possibly can because we want everyone to feel like they're being properly valued at the show um at the same time hope this gets resolved sooner than later because i do think you know though snl is a live show pre-tapes are a great part of it and especially in this time that we are right now they're so well done they're some of my like happiest and favorite things that i get to watch on a given week so i really hope that we don't go any episodes this season uh maybe one just for fun it could be like fun to like not get a pre-tape in a given episode just to like be able to like talk about it and have the fodder but for the most part i hope this gets Resolved. yeah indeed and monette who her full name is monette in the chat says 
that she thinks that the Anna Ferris episode from 2008 that didn't have any pre-tapes, she says it was a uh, very political episode. There was a Sarah Palin, Katie Kurt cold open, and then Anna debate sketch. Yeah. And so there was just very political heavy with live political sketches. So Monette uh, says that that's her theory as far as, and I think that's a really good theory. Awesome. Well, if there's any update on this particular story, again, I don't think it's going to affect the Michael B. Jordan episode as far as I know right now. If there's any update about this before the Pedro Pascal episode, then we'll talk about this again in a week's time on the Patreon show as to what we're looking forward to in that episode. But Thomas, before we wrap up today, any other thoughts or expectations for this Michael B. Jordan episode? Michael B. Jordan, along the same lines as Pedro Pascal, he's one of those actors who he can be comedic, but he's more known as a semi-serious actor and for me those are always the great episodes so i'm very much looking forward to michael b jordan i think he has the pro he fits the profile of what of what tends to make a great snl episode for me uh and i think he has a really good strong personality uh i think i think he's well suited for this yeah yeah i agree i i think he has a really like dynamic uh, energy about him that I think could be infused into a lot of these sketches and I love the choices that they've been making for these hosts like over the last few episodes it's really great and I feel like you know we were speculating so much last season about like some of the choices like perhaps could they not get people because of like COVID restrictions and like maybe they were so busy filming projects that got delayed due to COVID I feel like we're back to the point now where like SNL can like get people again and like these are like some really big names that are hosting the show so uh as i always say first time host let's have an open mind let's give them a clean slate and see how michael b jordan does and no matter how it goes we will break it down on saturday right after the show airs for the hot take show right here at 1 10 a.m eastern that'll be a very fun show monday we'll be back with the round table wednesday by the numbers and then thursday our patron feedback show so right back back at it again for another full week of shows here on the snn thomas anything you would like to plug snl hall of fame or otherwise yes we've been uh doing great on the snl hall of fame having a lot of fun right now we're actually in the middle of voting for the SNL Hall of Fame. We finished season two, presented 15 great candidates. So voting is open. So go to snlhof.com and register. And uh, please get get uh, get your voice heard as far as SNL voting. We're starting season three of the SNL Hall of Fame in February. And I'll give you uh, a little preview. It's a heavy hitter. We're going to be, our first episode of season three is going to be Dana Carvey. So we have Darren Patterson on from SNL Nerds. He, he and I are going to be talking about Dana Carvey. Uh, so that's going to be fun. And uh, last week, uh, Jamie Dew and I, uh, my co-host on the SNL Hall of Fame, we had a really great opportunity. Uh, we, we were on the Talk is Jericho podcast with Chris Jericho. And uh, yes, uh, that was really exciting. An old, I'm an old wrestling fan. So talking to Chris Jericho, second only to talking to John Schneider as far as being starstruck. But that was just a really wonderful time. We actually broke down our top 10 SNL cast members with Jericho. And we did a lot of quoting and laughing. Uh, and uh, Jericho has a lot of SNL knowledge like he you can tell he's watched a lot of snl he was super excited to talk about it so go check that out on uh, on talk is jericho and listen to the snl hall of fame 
Wow, I can't wait to check that out. So thanks, Thomas. And always great to get to talk to you. And so proud of everything that you and Jamie are doing over at the SNL Hall of Fame. I believe that I will actually be on the SNL Hall of Fame podcast next Monday night for a roundtable with uh, Bill Kenny and Sammy Kay. So we brought a little super fan takeover over to the SNL Hall of Fame. So check that out next Monday. So thanks for having us as always, Thomas. And for everything we're doing over here, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at the SNL Network. Subscribe to the podcast on YouTube, Apple podcast and spotify so thanks to everybody in the chat for joining us on this thursday night thanks to thomas senna and looking forward to chatting with all of our patrons in 2023 my name is john from the saturday night network we will see you next time everybody have a good one